Our gospel reading comes from the book of Matthew. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The word of God for the world. Let me begin by expressing my gratitude to Reverend Julie for inviting me to share the good news of God's love in Christ Jesus with you today. I also am excited to be here representing the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. I bring you greetings on behalf of Susie Painter, our executive coordinator, um, who is uh, a wonderful person to work with and an amazing woman. Um, And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I bring you greetings on behalf of our missionaries, our field personnel who serve Uh, all around the world. And um, on the heels of uh, that moving prayer, I would mention David and Julie Brown, who serve in Paris and serve among Muslims doing music ministry um, in beautiful ways. Uh, And I'd mention um, Maha and Shawi Bulos, who serve in Beirut, um, doing uh, shockingly Billy Graham-style evangelistic meetings in that part of the world, uh, where they invite uh, Muslim leadership of their community to come and sit on the front row. There are unbelievable stories they share uh, of their sharing of the gospel, and they've also for five years been serving Syrian refugees also uh, in the news of late. Um, These are some of the people that are supported by your gifts to the offering of global missions And I appreciate that, and I want to say thank you. Um, And thank you for partnering with us, um, and I I hope that you will give generously to support such remarkable people. Um, That Knowing that uh, T is coming to preach uh, next week, uh, you know up close and personal some of the quality of people that have served with CBF and continue to serve. And so I'm grateful for that. And um, it's such a joy to be here with you in this beautiful place and this beautiful fellowship. I've known about Providence for many, many years uh, because, as I said downstairs in Sunday school, I went to the Candler School of Theology at Emory University nearly 20 years ago now, and we knew of the legendary Gail Coulter. Um, And so uh, we were a small group back then, and so we were very grateful to know people actually found their way into places of service. And so we all knew about Gail, and we were appreciative of this church. Um, On a personal note, I'd like to thank you and Michael for the hospitality you've shown us over the past couple days. I'm really here because my wife is Julie's friend, but I'm grateful to be here. Um, uh, Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've had a little bit of a cold, so if I take a few sips, forgive me. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Did you notice that progression in verse 23? 
boy, this is heavy. Julie lent me her Bible, and this is something. I, I travel with those little tiny things, and boy. Uh, look at verse 23. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I'm going to ask you to do something that may be a little uncomfortable and a little bit unorthodox for Providence Baptist Church, but I'm ordained in the National Baptist Convention USA. And so most of my adult life has been spent in the black church, and I I feel awkward when I don't hear voices preaching the sermon with me. So whenever you hear me say, I I have to coach white folks on this, whenever you hear me say, (laughs) when Jesus got into the boat... I want you to hit that. That works. When I say when Jesus got into the boat, I want you to finish. His disciples followed him. Can you do that? When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Oh, that's great. In this story, we, we discover that there is a certain discomfort with discipleship, don't we? Jesus will lead us to places we scarcely can imagine. My first year of teaching students at Truett Seminary, I I had a brilliant student in a course on Christian world mission. I was so impressed that I hired him as my graduate research assistant, and over the next couple of years, he took four or five courses with me. I came to know that his wife had served as a missionary for two years in Indonesia, and I knew of his passion for Muslim-Christian relations, and so as he approached graduation, I recruited Michael to serve with Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Global Missions in Indonesia. Now, my friends have two children, ages four and under, and I'd actually mention, mention Truett by name, and I'd ask you to pray for him. He's in the hospital right now, and they're not sure exactly what their four-year-old son uh, is afflicted with, um, but I would ask you to pray for him. I'm sure Brooke and Mike would appreciate that. Now, I mention that to say, when the grandparents celebrated the birth of their first grandchild and then their second. I scarcely imagine that they ever suspected they would have to travel all the way to the island of Java to hold them. How many of you know that Jesus will lead you to places you otherwise would not go? When Jesus got into the boat, you know, you started out strong, but we're starting to taper off. You got to stick with me here. Of course, when we read this story, this familiar story, there's, there's a great temptation, isn't there, to jump ahead to the ending of the story and discover that all is well, that Jesus calms the storm. Uh, there's a quotation from St. Julian of Norwich that reads, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And that's how we like to read this story, isn't it? But it's not really how Matthew narrates the scene, nor how life generally works in my experience. We don't get to skip ahead to the happy ending. No, like the disciples on the boat that day, and I appreciated Michael's rocking. I usually don't have that sort of an object lesson there, right? Like the disciples on the boat, we have to wait for that drama to unfold. When Jesus got into the boat, disciples followed. Do you ever wonder what the conditions were like on the water that day? Uh, The disciples, even Jesus himself, clearly needed some rest ever since they had followed him down from that mountain where he preached uh, an incredibly demanding and, and ethically exacting sermon. 
It had been nonstop healing. Wall-to-wall sick people, a man with leprosy, uh, the centurion's paralytic servant, Peter's hot mother-in-law, says she was feverish. (laughs) And crowds plagued with demons and diseases, Matthew writes. Following Jesus in those early days was hard work. Others had tried to join the company, but Jesus doubted their devotion and dismissed them almost out of hand. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, he said to an eager law professor. Let the dead bury the dead, he said to the son of an ailing man. If you're going to follow me, Jesus seemed to say, then you'd better count the cost. From the start, Jesus didn't make following him very easy at all. Nevertheless, a small band of disciples, all fishermen, stood steadfast right by his side. Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John, Zebedee's son, they'd already left their friends and families and their nets behind. So when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And onto the boat they went, weary from the crowds, grateful for a respite. You know, Matthew here is pretty spare in his detail, isn't he? But we know that Jesus must have shared their sense of exhaustion because shortly after they push away from shore, Jesus falls asleep. Now, as relaxing as this excursion must have been, I imagine the disciples' heads were still spinning. Um, Jesus was a miracle-working Uh, prophet from Galilee. I mean, he was the hottest thing to hit Palestine in a long, long time, and he had handpicked them. He promised they'd become fishers of men and women. Whatever that meant, it just seemed more interesting than their day job. And clearly, others envied their position. They tried to cut in on their good thing, but, but Jesus had for some reason deemed them special. He called them by name. And you can almost imagine that moment on the deck. Game of shuffleboard here, uh, reclining with those little drinks and chaise loungers with the umbrellas over there. Take a deep breath, the salty sea air and a subtle hint of coconut uh, oil from their tanning lotion. When the lightning strikes. And the thunder begins to roll, and verse 24 reads, A windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the situation changed from comfort on the deck to crisis. Here again, Matthew gives us very little detail But we have every reason to believe that their instincts kicked in, that their training took over, that these professional fishermen jumped to their posts to save the ship. All hands on deck, they shouted. But it was too late, the squall too strong, the waves too deep to recover. And as they were sinking down, someone realized all hands weren't on deck. Jesus was missing. And in the rush to find their last and only hope, they discover him sleeping as sound as a baby in the midst of a storm. A storm, mind you, into which 
he had led them. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples... Now, here's the rub. Contrary to what I, I suspect most of us believe deep, deep down, following Jesus may very well put your life at risk. Or at very least, following Jesus may put at risk the life you've long envisioned for yourself. The life your parents envisioned for you. Or your spouse. Or your friends. Or your colleagues at work. Or your supervisor who had plans to promote you. Or your pastor who counted on your leadership. Or at least your tithe. You like that, Julie? That was special for you, right there, right? Or the life you envision for your own children. Following Jesus puts lives and dreams at risk, whether we find ourselves on a boat in Galilee, on an airplane to Indonesia, or in a darkened alley in Asheville or Charlotte. Following Jesus takes us into waters where we're vulnerable to storms that lead us far from familiar shores. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And despite the disciples' sacrifices or our own, Jesus doesn't always seem to be concerned or even present. It's downright shocking, isn't it? This work of bringing heaven to earth for which you've been praying earlier in the service isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes in ministry, whether you're changing a flat tire of some stranger on the side of the road or or you're offering a prayer in worship when God knows you hate public speaking. Or you're volunteering for VBS when truth be told you don't really like kids. <laughs> Sometimes it won't even feel like Jesus is on the scene in the room or on the boat. Verse 25, the disciples Quote, went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. When the storm kicks up, the disciples rouse their slumbering Savior, and the rebukes swiftly follow. Now, I know what you're thinking. Finally, here's where we get to the good part of the story. Jesus whips out the magic, apologies, Michael, and he rebukes the winds and waves, and boom, dead calm on the water again. We're back to our comfort zone, but not so fast, Matthew says. Consider verses 25 and 26. Lord, disciples, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Little faith? Really? I, talk about kicking somebody when they're down. Little faith? I mean, they're on the boat because of Jesus in the first place, right? And they've just tried to save his life. And they're having this little exchange. Well, what's happening? The boat's still sinking. They, they aren't like the foxes or the birds or the guys in the story before. That lawyer and the son of the ailing man. No, these are the folks that actually stepped out onto the boat, stepped out in faith to follow Jesus. And he led them straight into the storm. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples, a couple of years ago, this passage from Matthew 8 appeared as the devotional text for my faculty covenant group at the seminary. Now, it's generally a great thing to have a small group Bible study with a couple of biblical scholars, a church historian or two, a preaching professor and such. Uh, 
But on this occasion, our little group of scholars was stumped by Jesus' initial response. Ye of little faith. I mean, it's not unreasonable to be scared in the midst of a storm at sea on a little boat. People die every day on the water, don't they? And this wasn't a post-resurrection story with Jesus. We're a long way from Eastern Matthew's gospel. We're early in the journey with Jesus. The disciples seem downright reasonable here, even faithful. Waves are swamping the boat. Professionals that they are, they've presumably done everything they can to stabilize the ship. But fearing the worst, they turn to the one person who might be able to save them. And not because he was a great carpenter. (laughs) They turn to Jesus. Isn't that faith? They come to the end of their rope and they turn to him. Isn't that how most of us come to Jesus? Wasn't that an act of faith? When Jesus got into the boat... During my time as an urban missionary uh, with CBF at Touching Miami with Love, I participated in one of those two-year leadership development programs for young civic leaders. It included uh, an outdoor experiential education course not terribly far from here uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, kind of, I think north of Gastonia. Um, it was outward bound. Uh, trust falls, ropes courses, teamwork exercises, and the like. One morning, our outward bound facilitators divided us into two groups to prepare for a hike to a summit high above us. It was going to take all day long. And right before we began, our guide kneeled down and and began to draw concentric circles in the dirt. He said, I want to teach you a little bit of a lesson And he distinguished between these three circles and described them as three zones of experience. The first was a comfort zone. He said there's little learning that takes place in a comfort zone. You you like that. You want to camp out there, but but you don't learn much. You actually have to go to the next circle uh, that stretches. And he called it a stretch zone. He said most learning takes place in that stretch zone. We're uncomfortable and it opens us to new experiences and new insights. He said, but human beings aren't... uh, Uh, limitlessly elastic. (laughs) If you stretch us too far, like a rubber band, we'll snap. And he said, so if you go beyond the stretch zone into the crisis zone, the only recourse is to bring people as quickly as possible back to their comfort zone and let them regroup. In In Matthew's gospel, it seems as if Jesus could benefit from my outward bound instructor's lesson. When the disciples roused Jesus, they had long since entered their crisis zone. They were falling apart, perishing, as Matthew puts it. And I saw the same thing on the mountain that day with my little group. We were headed down from the summit. Dusk was falling. Camp was a long way in the distance. Our directions were useless. Turn left at the fallen tree. We're in a forest, for goodness sake. There are fallen trees in every direction. Tempers were rising. Light was fading. And then it happened. In the distance, we heard the thunderclap. Immediately, 
our trusty guide emerged from the shadows and gave us an impromptu lesson on how to survive lightning strikes in the hills. Now, I'm sure he offered some cunning plan and method for counting the echoes off the hills and judging the distance and the threat level, but all such insights were lost. Why? Because half of our team immediately had entered their crisis zone, and trying to reason with them was useless, even though I was pretty certain this guy wasn't going to let a bunch of bankers and and lawyers die on his watch in the woods, right? Still, almost instantly, I watched fear spread through our little group like a virus. And when the rain softly began to fall, the fear turned to panic and people began a mad dash down the mountain in the dark. We had entered the crisis zone. In Matthew 8... Jesus rebukes his disciples for what seems to me and the rest of my little covenant group to be a fairly faithful move. But just when all seems lost, the Jesus we so desperately want to make an appearance finally shows up. The wind and waves receive his second rebuke. And we return to that place of peace And tranquility. But after those rebukes, I suspect the disciples were changed. The false assurances they believed about themselves and the call to be fishers of men and women had to be set aside. Life with Jesus wasn't going to be as easy as those prosperity preachers on TV promise it will be. No, sometimes Jesus will lead you straight into a storm. And later in Matthew's gospel, perhaps you remember, a famous rebuke of Peter, Jesus turns not to the crowds, but his disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose, uh, uh, gain their life will lose it. And whoever will lose their life for my sakes will gain it. There is an inherent discomfort in discipleship. Of course, I think we mostly want to run right past the storm clouds in this story, straight to the silver lining, past the disciples' fear of imminent death, to their deliverance. We want to bask in the one whom even the wind and waves obey. But if we do that, if we jump ahead to that happy ending, then we miss the good news in this story, which is namely this. If Jesus gets you onto the boat, He can get you off of it. Doesn't matter how high the waves may rage. Doesn't matter how far off course everyone else in your life or the city of Hendersonville thinks this church has gone. If we follow Jesus onto the boat, then he will lead you home. And that's really the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? Try as we might, we can't save ourselves. But God, Paul writes, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, but entrusting unto us the ministry of reconciliation. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So let me ask you a question. Providence, when was the last time following Jesus 
made you uncomfortable. Sit with that for a moment. I suspect our weekly prayers for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth in Hendersonville could take us into some rough waters. And if so, we shouldn't lose heart. Remember Paul's admonition to the Galatians, never grow weary in well-doing. But let me add, when you do, remember that we serve a God who can redeem even our failures. As I move to a conclusion, I'll share a story. I remember one day in Miami, I turned the corner to our urban ministry center. I was pulling up, getting ready to park, and a young man in his late 20s flagged me down to the projects across the street. Uh, And I kept driving into our parking lot, and he ran upside as I was opening my car door. He was there waiting for me. No, no, you want to come over here? He was trying to, to flag me and direct me over to buy drugs. Well, I was tired. I was annoyed, so I lit into him. Don't you have something better to do with your life than dealing drugs on this corner? Don't you have something better to do with your life than destroying our community from the inside out? I just was kind of going off on him. Don't you believe God dreamed bigger dreams for your life than what you're doing here on this corner? With that, he turned and walked away pretty quickly. So it goes almost without saying, but just in case if it doesn't, This was not one of my most gracious missionary moments. I was weary. We battled every day with the drug dealers for the hearts and minds of our kids and our youth programs. A few months later, I had taken a church mission team over to the Homeless Assistance Center. We had served a meal. We were cleaning up afterwards. It was late. I was trying to move the team out, and we were almost there when someone hollered my name across across the dining hall. Hey, Pastor Stephen, he said. Pastor Stephen, you remember me? It's Charles. I looked up and I thought, Charles? You remember from the corner of 7th Street in the swamp. I was dealing drugs and you told me God had bigger dreams for my life. Ah, yeah, Charles. Great to see you, Charles. What's going on? Well, I want you to know. You were right. (laughs) I've got God in my life now. He said, My girl and I, we're getting married. I'm I'm off drugs. I'm not dealing anymore. They've got me in a a job training program here at the assistance center. We're looking forward to the future, and I'm following God now. And as I picked my jaw up off the floor, right, from my lackluster missionary performance a few months earlier, Charles and I spoke for a few more minutes before I had to depart. Don't grow weary in well-doing is a good word as long as we remember That the kingdom's coming on earth as it is in heaven is a divine initiative into which the Spirit invites us. And sometimes it comes in spite of us. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't presume to know for certain what this passage means for you personally or for this church collectively, but I do know that when Jesus got into the boat, His his disciples followed him. Let me close with this challenge. Pay attention to those people around you who are willing to embrace the discomfort of discipleship. Maybe they're missionaries like my friends in Indonesia or Mark and Kim Wyatt serving internationals with CBF in in Research Triangle Park. Maybe they're like T. Thomas and Kathy serving through his nets. Uh, 
Maybe they have a seminary education, maybe they don't. They very well may be school teachers or cafeteria workers or custodians or car salesmen or undocumented immigrants or epidemiologists that the CDC, close to where I live, they come in all shapes and sizes and colors and accents. But the one thing they have in common is a willingness to follow Jesus outside of their comfort zone because that's precisely where the real growth occurs. And if we're willing to take that risk, then we'll discover that there is no better, no safer place to be than on the boat with Jesus, even in the midst of a storm. When Jesus got into the boat, amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you call us out of our places of comfort to follow you, to join your mission, to become part of the reconciliation that on the cross you won for the world. Grant us courage to follow. Grant us courage to stand up out of our comfort zones and move into a place where you can use us. Whether we've followed you for a long time or we're just getting to know you now, grant us courage for the living of these days, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.